The following is a sermon from Christ Memorial Church. We are a multi-site church in the St. Louis area. We are compelled by two words, loved and sent. We believe everyone is loved deeply by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and everyone is sent with great purpose wherever they go. You can find out more about us at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Enjoy the following sermon. I believe God has given us two words in the midst of our community uh, to wrestle with. Loved and sent. There's a simplicity to these two words that a child can grasp. At the same time, there is a profound depth to them as well that could be mined for, for ages. As we consider these words, we, we go deep into them in this coming series. Over eight weeks, we'll be taking some first steps to go deeper with them. I believe they hold great significance for your life and for the life of our church. I've been preaching on these two words for a little over a year. I kind of jokingly said that it would be a 31-hour, 47-minute sermon, but you held me to it, and so I've been keeping track. I'm down to 28 hours left. With the help of uh, other colleagues of mine, other preachers, we're going to chip away at that in the coming weeks throughout this Loved and Sent series. Today we begin very simply with the word love. I'm frustrated with the word love for two reasons. I have two frustrations with the word love. First of all, it has been so overused in our culture, in our society, that it seems almost to be void of any meaning at all. It seems empty, generic, cliche. Uh, Everybody uses the word love and everybody ascribes maybe a different meaning to it. It can mean a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It can mean like a a romantic sentiment like uh, teenagers roller skating backwards holding hands. It can mean sex. It can mean, uh, you can use it to describe how you feel about bacon and how you feel about your mother. Same word. Most cultures or languages have more than one word for love and different kinds of love, but we're stuck with one. And it's been so overused that it seems almost to be empty of meaning, and I'm frustrated by that. What does love really mean? My second frustration is that the people who are defining love in our culture are the very ones who can't make it work. Uh, Pop stars and movie stars who sing the love songs and star in the romantic comedies Think about the last time you heard of a 50-year marriage in Hollywood, or 25-year marriage. Sometimes it's maybe not even hours. Give you an example. Uh, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow have been married for 10 years. Have or had been married, I guess. Chris Martin is the lead singer of the British rock band Coldplay. Gwyneth Paltrow starred in many movies. And in March, they announced that they were consciously uncoupling Not sure what that means, but I think it means that the love didn't work out. They were consciously uncoupling and kind of ribbed in the media for that that term. And now I think they're actually dating other people. And uh, it's unfortunate. They have a daughter named Apple, by the way. I think that's her name. Is it Apple? Um, But who's defining love in our culture? Who's giving it meaning and substance? I'm frustrated by the word love. What does love mean in the truest sense? How can we know it, really know it? Well, sometimes you can begin to know something by first looking at its opposite. 
So we'll start with words from John in 1 John chapter 4, where he talks a little bit about kind of the opposite, love's opposite. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so he sets fear and love in contrast to one another. Where there is fear, John says, there's a lack of love. And where there's a lack of love, then fear creeps in. So that when, when love grows, fear diminishes. But when love diminishes, then fear grows. It's kind of a riddle, but you can kind of see the, the inverse a bit, that they, that they represent opposite ends of one another. One way to look at this is simply at what love does for us. There are fundamental human needs that we all have beyond food and shelter and water. Basic needs like identity, security, meaning. Love gives those to us. Love bestows identity, security, and meaning. <clears throat> but when love is absent, when love diminishes, then fear brings about its opposites. Self-doubt, insecurity, desperation. They play off one another, this fear and this love. Calvin is a third grader who often acts out in class. He talks back to the teacher, he gets in fights, he bullies, he uh, is often in the principal's office. And on the surface, you would just see a, a troubled kid, maybe a bully. But underneath that, there is a fearful, fearful little boy. His father left years ago. His mother has spent time in jail, barely can take care of herself. And so you see it working its way out in Calvin's life. That underneath all of the outbursts and the anger, there's actually fear. And under the fear, there's a lack of love. Calvin is crying out for love. And maybe you've seen this in uh, people that you know, maybe even yourself, that when you are unloved, it's easy to become insecure, desperate, and you find yourself acting out in ways that, that you wouldn't normally act out. Anger arises, desperation arises. Love is so difficult because it's always done between imperfect people, even the people that you're closest to, that you love the most, they're imperfect, and so love can frustrate us. Because there's always a fear in love that you might, you might be abandoned, you might be betrayed, you might be hurt, you might be left. So even in relationships of love, there can be a fear. It always threatens love. So what is love? We go to one of the common verses, one of the great expositions on love in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 8. John says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. If John would stop here, I'd be frustrated with him, because it gets kind of to the generic sense of love. God is love. Uh, that, that just sounds generic. What does that mean? What is the substance behind that? It sounds kind of like a, a cliche. 95% of Americans would agree with that statement. So what makes this love distinctive? What makes it different? John doesn't end here. He goes on, verse 9. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us 
that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. John says, in this, love was made manifest. In other words, love is just a a thought. It's just a feeling, or it could be just words, until it's made manifest. In other words, until it has flesh on it, until you see it with your eyes, maybe even touch it with your fingers. In John chapter 1, the very beginning of his letter, he says, we have seen with our eyes, we have heard with our ears, we have touched it. Love has to be shown in tangible ways. It can't remain just a sentiment or a feeling. So John goes on. This is how it's made manifest. This is how you see it, that God sent his only son into the world, that God sent. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion, although it can, emotions and feelings can arrive or arise from love. Love is not primarily a feeling or emotion. It is not just an idea or a philosophy. Love in its most fundamental form is choice and action. And more specifically, love is a choice and an action that is selfless. A selfless choice and action is always at the heart of what love means throughout all of Scripture. So that in all of the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, there is this sense in love that it is self-giving. That the biblical use of the word love is the giving up of oneself for the sake of another person. Even when, and especially when, there is nothing in return. This is primary to a biblical definition of love. It is the heart of a biblical definition of love, the giving up of oneself, where one person puts someone else above him or her, willingly goes underneath or below another to put the the needs and the best of another above him or her. Selfless, selfless sacrifice is at the core of a true and genuine definition of love. I'll give you an example. There's a dysfunctional belief about marriage that we often run into, that marriage is about self-fulfillment. That if I, if I get married, I get married because it will make me happy. Not to say that marriage doesn't make you happy, but not all the time. Marriage is not primarily about self-fulfillment. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about self-sacrifice. In pre-marriage counseling, I usually ask a couple if they've had a a fight yet or a conflict yet. And every once in a while, I think there's a couple maybe wonders what the pastor wants to hear and will say, no, we've we've never had a fight. We're perfect. Actually, I'm looking for the other answer. Because if you haven't had a fight or a conflict yet in a relationship, then you shouldn't get married. Because love is proven in struggle. Love requires that there's some struggle for it to prove itself, to prove it's real, so that it's tested. So that in marriage, love is really proven not in better, but in worse. Not in richer, but in poorer. Not in health, but in sickness. That's when love is proven. So when you're poor and sick and worse off, then you find out if someone really loves you. It's tested. It's proven in the struggle. 
And so in this text, in 1 John 4, when everything is falling apart, John says, God sent his only son. When there was the struggle, when there was desperation, when fear abounded, that's when God sent his only son so that you would be prov- it would be proven to you that there is substance and flesh and muscle to this love. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John says, this is love. Not that we loved God. We are incapable of this kind of love. It's not to say that we're incapable of love, but our love is only a response to the first love. It requires a greater inspiration. So John says, this is, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and put flesh on that love by sending something precious and costly to him, giving himself up and over. Love is ultimately and fully defined. You can see it most clearly in the cross event. If love is self-sacrifice, giving up oneself for another, it's most clearly seen in one man dying for the sake of a world. There's a depth to that kind of love, a costly act. Love is not about heart-shaped chocolates. It's about cross-shaped wood. It's not about butterflies in the stomach. It's about a selfless resolve deep in his gut. It's not about the ecstasy of a romantic high. It's about putting yourself lower than someone else for their good, for their benefit. Love is not about feeling good. Love is about feeling pain for someone else's good. Every other definition of love looks like cotton candy. Looks good, but it's mostly empty, and there's no substance to it. This definition of love is different. The self-giving, sacrificial love in action, a choice and an action. God's sending his most precious. We see that that he is in this for the long haul, that his love is persistent, that it's resilient, that it's tenacious, that his love has no qualifications, no conditions to it. It asks no questions. When you look at this love, now now you can begin to see, you're just starting to see what true and genuine love looks like. You're just starting. And this kind of love is not seen enough and it's not spoken enough. This kind of love, a self-giving love, it's not spoken of enough. In 1995, a reporter named Tim Madigan from the Fort Worth Star-Telegraph newspaper, he was assigned to interview and do a profile on Mr. Rogers, the TV children's icon, Mr. Rogers. Madigan's life as a reporter was flourishing. He was uh, successful. He was winning awards in his journalism. But his personal life was a wreck. He was suffering from deep depression. His family, his marriage was falling apart. Uh, He was struggling to come to terms with his broken relationship with his father. And in the midst of this, he goes to Pittsburgh, where Mr. Rogers was filmed, where where Fred Rogers is from. 
uh, to interview him. And after the interview, Fred Rogers befriended him. They became friends. How cool would that be, being friends with Mr. Rogers? Doesn't seem possible. Became friends. In fact, Fred Rogers invited him to his church. Uh, Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Invited him to his church, uh, invited him to dinner. They would correspond by distance through letters, through emails. Uh, For the next seven years, Fred Rogers died of cancer in 2003. And along that way, Tim Madigan notes in his book, I'm Proud of You, he notes that there was this seminal moment in his life, and it intersected with Mr. Rogers. He wrote in his journal that he hit a real low, and he wrote in his journal that he was uh, suffering an intense season of fear. He wrote, I don't want to be here anymore. Don't know what to do. Want to go back to sleep and sleep the rest of the day. Hide from the world. He wrestled with those words, but he decided to send them to Fred Rogers. He emailed them to Fred Rogers. And Rogers wrote back in an email. And he said this. You are my beloved brother, Tim. You are God's beloved son. I love you. And I'm proud of you. the first time that Tim Madigan heard those words from a father figure, really from anyone. First time he ever heard those words. And it changed his life. Totally reoriented his whole perspective on the world. He told Fred Rogers that, and so Rogers would sign every letter, every email, he would sign it, I love you and I'm proud of you. In fact, he even shortened it to IPOY, I-P-O-Y, I'm proud of you. I love you, IPOY. Those words changed his life. He had never heard them before. Those words can't be said enough. For most of you, I think maybe you've heard at some point that God is love. At some point you've heard, God loves you. But maybe you've never really heard that you are loved by God. Or maybe it's hard to believe or to accept, or maybe you've heard it so many times it's become so generic and cliche. You've been called a lot of things. You've been called a failure, a sinner, an idiot, but maybe you've never been called a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the Most High God. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've forgotten. If so, I'm here today to tell you something very simple but very profound. That you are loved by God. I'm not sure if you heard me. I'm not sure if you you got it. So I'm going to... Let me try this. I, I understand why this might be hard to hear. Because you live in a world where uh, you're often hurt by love or you're betrayed by love. So I can understand that those words are hard to hear for you. But if you've been hurt or betrayed by love, you need to hear this. That there's one who understands you. That Jesus was betrayed. That love literally hurt him. He was killed by love. But you were worth it. You were worth the price. So lay down your fears, drop them, 
because you are loved by God. Okay, I'm getting blank stares. I'm not sure if you're, if you're getting me yet. And I understand, because I think you've had this generic, I, your frustrations might be my frustrations, this generic understanding of love that just has no meaning, it's empty of meaning. Let me put it this way. Every relationship seeks to prove its love, some sort of proof of love, uh, a kiss, a hug, a gift, uh, some sort of gesture to prove love. God's proof is death. Some people talk about death by chocolate. His is death by love. But he did it to prove to you in the struggle, to prove to you the substance and the meat of his love, that it's no generic love, but there's a depth to it. There's teeth to his love for you. Drop your fears. You are loved by God. Okay, I don't think you're, is this thing on back there? Is it on? I don't, I don't know if you're, maybe, I understand it's hard to, to hear these words because uh, they've been overused and because you live in a culture uh, where there are always conditions and qualifications based on love. You live in a world of conditional love where you say, love me, I'll love you back. Or if you don't love me, I'm, I'm not going there, I'm not loving you back. This is different. This is a different kind of love. This is love with no conditions, no qualifications, no limits. This is a love that God gave selflessly uh, without expecting anything, no return on investment. He just gave it. In fact, he showed love to you when you were unlovable. That's when he showed love for you. So now you know that you are loved by God. I've exhausted you, so I'll move on. God has given you important work to do. He's given you really important work to do in the world. But you can't go if you don't know that you're loved. If you're not sent in love, it's better not to be sent at all. And so before we even go to the second word, sent, we have to go to the depths of the word love. You have to know it, hear it, believe it, experience it. In the coming weeks, we're going to unpack the depths of how God's love was displayed. We're going to follow the pattern of manger, cross, and crown as a handle on what that love looks like in real life and how you might even hear it yourself but then speak it back to others. Few people know uh, of true and genuine love. Few people know that they are loved by God without conditions. This week, a little piece of homework. This week, I want you to tell a family member or close friend. I want you to speak these words to them. They can't be spoken enough. They are underspoken, underconveyed in our world. A family member or close friend right around you, who you will say to them, I love you. More importantly, you are loved by God. Might happen on the ride home today, might happen with a phone call this week or around a dinner table this week, but a family member or close friend, you speak these words to them so that they know that they are loved by you and by the Most High God. I was really frustrated with the word love. Tired of it, actually. Until I heard this, 
that this is love. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Loved and sent. Thank you again for listening to the sermon from Christ Memorial. If you happen to be in St. Louis or live in St. Louis, we would love to meet you and have you join us for worship on Sunday. We are located in South County, St. Louis at 5252 South Lindbergh. We also have a city site called Reliant that is located on the St. Louis University Medical Campus in Crave Coffee House. You can find all of our worship times and information at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Hope you have a good day, and remember, you are loved by God deeply through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you are sent with great purpose wherever you go. Have a good day.